here I am. I followed the American dream. I followed the path that everyone has said, all you do is take this pathway and you will be successful. You will, you will, you, you know, and you will live happily ever after as a productive member of society. I take that pathway. They never told me about all these barriers. People were being stifled because of their color. This is We Form the Future, a podcast and radio show that is meant to empower Black voices and our community. I'm your host, and my name is Jasmine. I'm a multidisciplinary artist, creative writer, and public speaker from the Twin Cities of Minnesota. I'm also a believer in the idea that the future is up to us. I believe that we can form the future to support and benefit us for generations to come. And I'm excited, so excited to share with you the inspiring stories and revolutionary ideas in this podcast. Each week on We Form the Future, a different individual or organization will bring us varying perspectives on the Black experience and explore novel approaches to life, art, existing social structures, and new ways to form a better future. We Form the Future is created by WFNU Frogtown Community Radio and funded by the Transformative Black-Led Futures Fund, whose goal is to support those who are responding to the political and cultural opportunity to defund the police and begin the transition process toward developing and implementing a shared vision of community-led safety and investment. We Form the Future is aired on WFNU LP 94.1 FM Frogtown Community Radio in St. Paul every Saturday at 1 p.m. You can learn more about this program by visiting weformthefuture.com. What's up? Welcome back to another episode on We Form the Future. On this episode, we have Angela Hooks, aka the iconic daughter of St. Paul. She is teenage role model of over 35 years. She is Miss Black Teenage World represented by the USA 1985 community activist, former district chairperson, vocalist, organizer, developer, advocate, and executive director. Her organization, Black on Black Development, has a mission to empower the Black community with several tools and platforms in dismantling barriers of any kind. She is an active board member of the Summit University Planning Council and member of Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee Prison Reform Group. Angela has an associate's degree in business administration, a certification in identity of work and women's reentry, and is currently pursuing her bachelor's in sociology. Angela is now a strong researcher, educator, and activist of policy change and prison reform for the incarcerated because she's lived and experienced the injustices and racial disparities as a formerly incarcerated woman. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get straight to it. Many people will probably remember me most for being crowned the first Miss Black Teenage World from the state of Minnesota in 1986. And that's what really opened my eyes to civic engagement um, at the age of 15, <clears throat> representing black youth around the world at the age of 15, um, really made me grow up fast and want to understand the system in which I was now um, representing. Um, because when you when you take on a title, 
of, of that sort, you are actually representing the system. And of course, I didn't know that at the time. Um, I just had a lot of questions and I, and I, I wanted uh, justifications for some of the circumstances that I was um, seeing and literally a part of in my day-to-day -day, um, appearances. And so I wanted to know, you know, why am I representing this corporation? And I never see them in my community. Um, why am I at this event um, speaking as a leader of Black youth? And um, it's going to end as soon as I walk off the stage. So I had so many inquisitive questions, not knowing that that was the formulation of my activism, my curiosity about the things that I, I was encountering. And so I guess I, I like to share that <clears throat> sometimes we don't even understand what systemic racism is. We just know something doesn't feel right. Something isn't happening enough and no one's it's taboo to speak about it. When I was speaking at a few, um, few of my public speaking engagements, one of them was at the National Explorer Scouting Association convention. And there I was again, dumbfounded. I was like, exploring, what is that? What do you mean exploring, explorer scouting? What are you talking about? This is something that inner city youth hadn't been introduced to. And yet all these support suburban kids, they were telling me, oh, we have a computer post, computer science post. We have a political science post. We have a hiking post. We have a, a medical post. You know, you get assigned your post decides what particular um, area of career development and that's what Explore Scouting was. It was like, okay, when you're done being a cub or a boy scout or a girl scout, you can now as a teenager and young adult continue scouting and develop a career path. And I had no idea that existed. And I knew my friends didn't. I knew my cousins didn't. I knew every person of color that of youth that I associated with had no idea that there was a follow-up branch to continue you into college and into a career in scouting. So as I was speaking and I'm absorbing, I'm asking, you know, uh, at the time, the CEO, well, how do, how do we do this? How do we make this happen? Can I do this when I go home? Can, you know, he said, yeah, you just got to get some adults to sign off, get you a post together and I'll get you the, the guidebook on how to run your post. And so that's the first thing I did when I got back to St. Paul was I went to my church. I asked my youth leaders there. I said, hey, bam, I threw the guidebook on the desk. And I said, this is happening in every suburb of this country. And we need this. We need this. I'm 15. I want to be able to, 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 to get a taste of different careers and really figure out what I want to do with my life, just like the white kids are doing. And <laughs> my youth counselors looked at each other and they said, and they looked back at me and they knew she's not going to quit. She's going to make this happen. Let's do it. They made it happen. And I ran the whole thing and I went to all, I mean, every school, 
every church. And I, and I told all the black youth about it. And I said, you've got to join this post and you've got to come to our meetings. And we thought, and I thought of ideas at that time to get them to come, you know, like different activities that at the, in our day and age that were very interesting, you know what I'm saying? And they showed up from every walk of life. The, the black youth showed up. Um, and we had, and I created the very first black explorer scouting post in the state of Minnesota. And so then they asked me to be a um, diversity advocate at the Explorers Scouting Association. So I was actually doing that, taking ACTs, representing a, a crown and um, being a teenager. And that was my first activism and my, also my first development experience that, that eventually turned into what's known as the Zulu Nation of, of Explorer Scouting. Uh, it's the Zulu District um, and it is 50 posts strong today. And I, I have to say that many people may not know that that was something that I helped create. And, and so when you're looking at the type of things that you've contributed to your, to your community from your passion, from your heart, because like I said, people don't even know I created that. Mm -hmm. I'm not waving a flag about it. I don't even put it on in my portfolio. And sometimes my mom said, that's one of your best achievements. Why haven't you, why aren't you using that? I'm like, mom, that's from 1984. <laughs> But, <laughs> but she says, but it's living now. It has, it has continued for all those years. And it, imagine all the Black youth, it has helped their career pathways and make their decisions about college and, and work or labor or et cetera. So I want that back. I remember that being what specifically changed many of me and my friends' lives. And that's so hard now. Everything is so, um, I, I, I keep coming back to the word cookie cutter. Everything now is strict. It has so many boundaries and uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't spark the interest. It doesn't spark the interest or involvement or engagement. You know, um, and so I do feel frustrated. I feel very frustrated. I have to admit at times I want to put the baton down and just raise my son. <laughs> you know, as a young black man, the, 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 the challenges that are there, um, the stresses of seeing black mothers just always had a high anxiety. Um, sometimes I just want to put the baton down and, and just deal with that. But the passion, um, knowing what I received as a young person, not being at uh, the fingertips of other young Black people, it just bothers my soul. It really bothers my soul. And um, and I get that sometimes, you know, I, I hear people say, oh, things are advancing, things are different. 
The millennials are different. Um, we have to join them. And we, you know, we just have to go with the flow with the new world. No, there are some things that must remain the same. And to me, that is the self-empowerment, the, the, the community stabilization, the respecting your elders, the caring about the education of our children, not that they just sit in that seat and cover a statistic for funding. But I want to bring back that caring. After college, I, I took on my first um, corporate position in development at the Ordway Theater uh, as the uh, development assistant there. And, um, you know, it, 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 it just kept having a snowball effect as I kept trying to advance and achieve greatness. Um, my mother used to say to me, you know, if you wanna be, you've got to do a work because you're black. Um, and and, and I, I, I would ask her to explain and she'd say, well, you're, 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 you're intelligent enough. You're exhibiting the, the, the skills in school, but I guarantee you, they're very surprised they're looking at your skin tone and they want you to have to work harder to achieve what the white student next to you, you know, may not even really be um, qualifying for the grade that they're getting. So I always kept that in the back of my mind in everything that I did. And um, though I didn't feel it was fair. I didn't understand why is that happening? This is not 1940. You know, Jim Crow is dead. And yet it was just in a very hidden, subtle type of way. So um, I, I remember wanting to create certain programming and be a part of, of programming development. And and I would get these looks because everything that I wanted to incorporate um, was taboo, you know, bringing inner city youth to the theater, having the experience that many of them wouldn't even know exist um, unless they're introduced in some type of way, you know, and having my background traveling the world at a young age, I wanted to, I wanted to bring that back. I wanted to pave that forward. And so much resistance, you know, at 21, 22 years old, I didn't quite understand. I, I just kept plugging away and trying to um, say, you know, what was needed. And I didn't understand the political ramifications. And I really didn't want to say, wow, there's still racism. I, I didn't want to say that because of the achievements and because of the partnerships that I was carrying on my shoulder. Um, so I worked in, in the Yardway for a while and in traveling back and forth to New York, um, 
looking at theater productions and um, watching my boss meet with the president of Disney and, 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 and all these things, I, and having my business background, I was bitten by the, um, I guess you could say the corporate bug. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go on my own. Um, I, I, I thought that as a melting pot, New York City would accept me more and look at me for my abilities. And so I migrated to New York for 14 years um, where I you know, wor worked in Fortune 100 companies, um, including the NFL, um, where I did public relations and community outreach. <clears throat> And from there, I decided, you know, looking at the geographical difference in Minnesota and New York, looking at the 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 the, the unification, the the support systems, the resources, um, just the acceptance of people of color was traumatizing at first. But then I, I, it was, it was motivating and I wanted to share that with my home. I wanted people to know there's a whole world. There is, there, there are people of color that are successful and independent. There are communities that are thriving. And I wanted to share that. And that's when I developed my 501c3 nonprofit, Black on Black Development and Entertainment. And I returned to the Twin Cities and that was in 2003. And I have to say it, 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 it was a geographical struggle having, uh, you know, in one region of the world, everything that I was doing was, was it, it, was, it was wanted, it was accepted it was funded, it was supported. And then when I migrated that organization back home, it was like Deadwood. I even ran into, when I would walk into a, a meeting or a presentation with a corporation or a foundation, I would have people say, well, first thing, let's, let's, let's address the title of your organization, Angela. You know, that black on black, you know, that's pretty um, abrasive and it's going to, um, you know, we, we need to soften that up before we could talk about funding or partnership. And I refused. I simply refused because I wanted the twist. Because so many times in media, you hear black on black crime, black on black murder. But, you know, black was so associated with negativity that I wanted to change put a spin on that and say, hey, black on black can be very positive uh, with the proper development and resources. And I refuse to change my name because I want that understood that every time you put those two words together, it doesn't have to have a negative connotation. And so I refuse to change my name, which cost me a lot of supporters, funders, um, and I've I've been funding this organization strictly on private donations and um, board member support since. So now to see 
all of the um, fanfare, I'll use that word, to see all of the fanfare happening around economic freedom and and uh, justice reform and uh, you know community empowerment, you know it it it's so overdue, and it has cost so many. Uh, I, I guess I could say so many people who who were deserving and worked so hard to get where they were but they hit a glass ceiling because of their color. And it wasn't recognized at all uh, uh, for, for many, many years. I should say acknowledged, I'm sure it was recognized. It wasn't acknowledged that people were being stifled uh, because of their color. And so I imagine this, I said, if here I am, I follow the American dream, I follow the path that everyone has said, all you do is take this pathway and you will be successful. You will, you will, you, you know, and you will live happily ever after as a productive member of society. I take that pathway. They never told me about all these barriers that would shoot me, um, you know, just blindside me when I was doing the right thing. And so I think that part of transformation and change, transformative change, transformative leadership has to speak on that taboo subject of um, systemic racism, you know? And, and I'm glad the doors are open now. And a few of us have said, you know, we wanna recapture that essence of support and that, that empowerment uh, that 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 village atmosphere that helped us so much stay on track, and it and that's what's been dismantled. I'm, I, you know, yeah, we can dismantle the police, but I think we need to focus that our community foundation is dismantled. Let's put that back together. Let's put that back together, and and of course, part of that deals with policing and being treated fairly rather than being um, plantationized. Um, so I, I get that, I truly get that. But I guess I'm one of the few activists who are more centered on black community stabilization, um, um, empowering us. What's, what's going on with land trust and real estate own, and ownership, the, the causes that send us to the street. Let's deal with the causes. Let's stop pointing fingers. Let's stop uh, blaming others. I, I wanna focus on rebuilding um, our foundations and our community, the foundations of our community. And so a lot of the programming at Black on Black Development addresses um, you know, community empowerment and how to position our people for change. So I have a program called Systems Navigation and, and that's positioning our people so that we can be a part of the justice system, so that we can be a part of the Sentencing Guidelines Commission, so we can understand what civic engagement really means and 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 so that we can learn the policies that dictate um 
where we where we're placed. And if we position our people, that's the better place of removing some of the systemic racism that we are so pointing at others for embarking or oppressing us with. And I, and that's just our motto at Black on Black. Okay, we, our energy won't be at blaming, it won't be at finger pointing. It's going to be at positioning and educating our people so that we can re get our community back so that we can be self-sustainable, so that we can monitor ourselves, so that we can save our own children. So for example, mental health is, 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 is it's, it's just like a wildfire right now. Every single person in this country has dealt with or tapped into some mental health need. And so for, um, the healthcare system to treat us all in one manner is in a cookie cutter type of mold is not going to be successful, has not been successful and will not be successful until they culturally diversify how they care for individuals. So that's something that Black on Black is, is trying to meet with um, our healthcare system and, in, and, and, and really stress the importance of those things because that stops the incidents that are taking our black men. And, and that's what we wanna look at is solutions, not blame, but we want those solutions to be specified to our needs. Don't give us what you think we need. Don't take the funds and them where you think they will best help us. Listen to us. And part of that is also networking with community grassroots organizations like us who see the needs firsthand, not from a bird's eye view, but from a frontline view. You know, we don't want your helicopters and, and, your, and your monitors looking down and telling us what we need from a bird's eye view. People are responding to the people they see and the people that they identify with. So you can put your millions into your big, huge mainstream organizations that are missing us and say, oh, we're doing the right thing. We gave so-and-so $1.5 million to uh, administer to programming in the inner city. Well, if they don't know who we are, and if they don't know that the pe who the people want to work with, it doesn't do us any good. We miss, we miss, we get missed again. I want to educate my people on that bureaucratic process of non-inclusion so that when they run and support an organization or a corporation and don't realize that same corporation or organization has just shut down. 15 community organizations that were that that work with you every day or your child every day or your business every day and they have no knowledge that 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 corporation or business that they're funding to shut down every organization that was trying to better their lives so 
I don't know. You know, people often say to me, well, Angela, Black on Black is kind of all over the place. Well, guess what? Meeting the needs of my community and making it of, of a successful village is all over the place. Hell yeah. It's all over the place. I have to deal with every situation or circumstance that's going to take a chip off that foundation and make us shaky. <clears throat> I'm not going to say, oh, I'm only going to look at the left side of the building. It's more sound. It's more comfortable. And it's getting the funding. No, we're dealing with, yeah all sorts of issues. And primarily because on our website, individuals can voice what their needs are. We, we specifically ask them to voice what your needs are in detail. You know, if you've got to drag a kid to wake up at 5 a.m. and get a kid ready before you can uh, get on the bus and go to work and you got to drop them off. So your commute to work is two and a half hours. Write that down because we are going to try to find a way to make your progress, your dreams, your drive as easy for you to achieve as possible because there are just so many barriers that are already discouraging in the world. We want to make everybody's pathway as smooth as possible for them. And so, yeah, that, that makes us kind of all over the place <laughs> because we don't say, oh, no, we don't want to hear about your kid. No, we don't want to hear about your transportation problem. We only want to know, do you need food security today? Are you eating? We don't shut down and limit how we serve rather than saying, this is the path we're offering you and you've got to figure your life out to, 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 to meet what we've designed. No, we design around the people. We take our direction from our community. With Angela back in Minnesota, her business was not thriving like it was on the East Coast. She made decisions that many people in difficult places make. She was arrested and in 2015 was sent to prison. I have to recognize at times and accept some of my own failures, some of my own failures, because many people look at my background and they say, what, you went to prison? No way, how? I've modeled so many things around uh, 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 the things you've implemented in our community, the words that you've given us, um, the, the direction of your, the successes of your life. I never knew you went to prison. That's the reason that I was introduced basically to restorative justice and decided, you know, I don't know if, I, if I'm about reform or am I an abolitionist? You know, what lens am I trying to create here? Um, and how do I do it? Because there could be so many mixed emotions about, you know, how does this successful, um, world-renowned pageant queen, um, uh, successful, intelligent person, educated, uh, involved. Where did she go wrong? How did she end up in prison? And good people do resort to crime sometimes. 
because of the barriers in their in our lives, because of the pressures, because of the feeling exhausted with no hope. And, and that's my own explanation. I can't speak for everyone, but when I did run into these situations where I knew I had spent my entire youth representing corporations, organizations, and foundations, and then they would not support my organization because of the name, it was angering, it was stifling. Um, there were days I didn't know how I was going to make it. And so sometimes you end up in situations that are not good for you. But at the same time, you have to maintain and survive. And that is what at that moment you feel like is necessary. And knowing that, having that, that, that lived experience myself, I can imagine someone who didn't have the tools that I did and run into that same challenge, how easy it is to just go the other way. My reentry experience has placed me on many panels, committees, and organizations upon reentry because I spent five years, of course, advocating in prison and doing the same thing, changing policy, <laughs> um, representing the prisoners, um, and uh, creating cadres inside from um, outside reform organizations. And so I spent a lot of time in, 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 in discipline <laughs> uh, because of my abolitionist and reform actions. Um, and so I worked with an organization, um, Twin Cities IWOC, Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee um, for those five years and which now I am of course on their committee, but coming home re-entry for me was due to COVID. Um, I'm on CMR, I'm on COVID medical release currently and, um, which will, I will expire in September, but that is why I was released. I was released early. Um, last year because of COVID and any of us who had some underlying health conditions could apply for early release. And I did, and that is how I came home. Well, that is unlike any other program. That is not like work release. That is not like treatment. That is not like um, any of the other early release programs, primarily because it wasn't expected it wasn't developed it, it it was just okay we've got to get people out before that who are susceptible to covid so we got no support financially we had to create our own housing avenue and we have these strict conditions um to stay out of congregated events or facilities so I have to work remote from home um, and there was no support. There was no halfway house, there was no, you know, so I had to have family 
to be accepted in the program and somewhere to go. And so it's, it, it has been almost, um, or I won't say almost, it's been very humbling because I, here I am a 52 year old woman with a 20 year old son and I'm at my parents. I'm living with my parents. And that makes me have a really good view of what's not there. I'm a female, I'm a woman with a child. And that's never discussed when you're re-entering the world. That reconnection, that um, stepping back into your parenting role, giving you a foundation for you and your child to bond and live and reconnect. These are things that make my innovative spark just go based on lived experience. So I was very frustrated, but like I said, um, this has been my life. So naturally I just dug my heels in <laughs> and said, um, I've got to bring these issues to the DOC. I've got to bring these issues to all the other abolitionists, you know, Jason, the Jason Souls, the Kevin Reese's, the Chantel Allen's, the Nakima Levy Pounds, the, the individuals that are marching and, and recording and speaking on my lived experience. You need to understand it. And even my brothers like Jason and Kevin, you have the same lived experience, but guess what? I'm a female. So my reentry is different from your reentry. And I want my brothers to understand that. I want them to understand that. You may have got out and just got out and had to take care of you. A woman gets out and she has children and so many other things that is a little different, you know? So reentry to me has been full abolitionist, full activism. Um, and just blessed by the support that I have from my family that many don't. I, I've seen people on CMR going right back because of social compliance issues, not having stable home, um, you know, and, and simple things like that, which is causing them to violate. So I kind of have some, um, you know, people say survivor's guilt. Yeah, I, I have survivor's guilt. To, to really be honest, I do. I have survivor's guilt because I'm still here. I've, I've, I've reestablished a, a nonprofit foundation. Um, I've been on NPR several times speaking to uh, the struggle. Um, I've done, you know, other speaking engagements at the University of Minnesota to um, master's classes. And, and so sometimes people think that it's just, I'm living this very easy, comfy road compared to some other reentry, but it's not. It's a choice that I've made to take my suffrage and express to the world that, look, it happened to me. It can happen to, if it happened to me, it can happen to anybody. It's basically what I'm saying. 
you know, and, and, um, so that's been my reentry. It's not always what, you know, I, I, the resources are not always there. I didn't see any programming that I felt was um, conducive to, to me and my goals, um, <clears throat> which I've stated that, you know, I'm, I'm going for my master's at Augsburg online, you know, so my experience in reentry is not typical. It's not typical, but I do know the struggle of others. Um, I have 15 prisoners that call me any given day from the inside and they reiterate to me the challenges. They, 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 they remind me of the challenges and, and I take that information and I try to present it to the sources that can make the change. And that's what I do on a day, daily basis um, in, in that area of reform and abolitionism. So black on black, we don't, we don't want to fit in. We don't want to fit into the mainstream nonprofit organization role. We want to be the outlet that the individuals that are falling through the cracks can still get help with us and still be successful with us and still know someone's going to take some one-on-one -on -one time rather than just do an assessment or intake and throw you in a file cabinet. You know, that we really sit and develop personal family needs. We are working very hard with the Department of Corrections on a reentry pilot. And I'm so hoping that we get this piece together because part of reentry begins before you actually walk out of that prison. And so we would like to go inside and start this pilot that will set up the systems navigation program that I mentioned and teach these individuals, give them uh, um, healing circles, give them leadership skills, and also be able to allow them to feel confident that when they walk out that door, they have a plan, they have a support system, and they have enough of the understanding of the system and resources that are available to them and maintain as a productive member of society. You can't expect to lower recidivism without addressing the specific needs. Again, people are falling through the cracks when they re-enter. And of course, that's just that big wheel spinning that big wheel spinning, the DOC, mass incarceration, it keeps on flourishing because they know that people are falling through the cracks. And so we are saying now to them as an organization, we know how to patch those holes, but you've got to partner with community-based organizations, lived, experienced, uh, uh, former incarcerated people, You've got to stop wanting to hold the reins, maintain supreme, <laughs> should I say supremacy, <laughs> and, 
and 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 redevelop your strategies, who you're contracting, who you're partnering with, and and sometimes that's 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 just a a, a big boulder that you're pulling uphill to to make that happen when it's so logical and it's so simple, and it's and it's being pushed pretty much down your throat from the people, the incarcerated people, the community, their families, everyone's telling you the pathway that they need. So I don't know if I'm reform or abolitionist, I'm, I, you know, titles come and go, but the work that I'm doing, um, I believe is specific to change and advocacy. We are transforming lives one community at a time. That's what we're doing as, as individuals and as an organization. And I just, um, I, I feel positive that this is a revolutionary time there, but it can be done peacefully. It can be done collectively and we can all live as one. Welcome back. Thanks for taking a listen. Please check out Angela Hooks on blackonblackhelp.org if you are in any need of any type of service or for more information. Thanks for tuning in to another episode on We Form the Future. It was really sweet to spend another week with you. I hope to hear, to speak, to listen with all of you again next week. And this is your girl, Jazz. Peace. Music from today's episode is from Akebe Shakedown. Production of We Form the Future episodes are by Sounds Powerful Productions. We'll be back next week with another great episode. For more information on We Form the Future, visit weformthefuture.com. <laughs>